Hi, this is Marilyn Neal Lachlan, your hostess with the mostest of From Paper to People podcast, and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes. And while you're there, please leave us a rating and review. And now it's time for our feature presentation. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 258, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome Movie Review. Brian, along with Derek Myers, and this is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Now, last week, we all got the news that Tina Turner passed away. So Derek thought it might be fitting to look back on her legacy the best way that we could by reviewing her greatest songs. No, of course not. We're going to go back and watch Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, uh, one of her only film roles, really. But uh, before we do that, Derek, hello, my friend. Uh, Hello, what Chris. is new in the world of pop culture for you? Well, uh, it was pretty slow week pop culture wise uh, relative to what it usually is for me. Um, I just had a lot going on in real life and uh, it's getting the weather's getting really nice. It's getting getting to be a lot like summer. So less time in front of a screen, more time. Uh, interacting with uh, with outside, but uh, I did have a chance to catch a few things. Um, of note this week, it was the series finale of two primetime uh, cable premium shows. Mm-hmm. It was the finale of the show Succession, oh, and right. on the same night, immediately following it, was the finale of the show Barry. Both of those on HBO. Right. Uh, both of both of the shows I've enjoyed from the beginning, both of the shows I've been keeping up with in real time and, and staying on top of. And I thought both shows, the endings were fantastic. Uh, you know, you hear a lot of times where uh, a show has a great start, maybe runs a couple of seasons. It's really good. And then it it doesn't they don't end the show soon enough. And then the last season kind of sucks and the ending really is terrible. So I'm always worried when there's a show you really like that, like that they're going to screw up the ending and you're going to be like, eh, that show is OK. But the ending like lost a good example. It's like the show was great. And then like the last half of the last season and the last couple of episodes really sucked. And you're like, really? It was so good up until now. Both Succession and Barry strong all the way through. Great finales, great wrap-ups. So if those are shows you have not been watching and you're looking for something to binge, they are both now completely done. So you don't have to worry about binging a show, catching up, and then having to wait all summer for new episodes. Those ones are are donezo. Uh, The good thing about Barry, too, is the episodes are only about a half an hour, so they, Mm -hmm. they run pretty quick. Now, Chris, you you watched a couple of seasons of Barry. Have you watched the last season, the newest one? So, yes. So I've watched all the way up until maybe the second last or last episode so maybe in the next week or so i'll i'll get caught up and watch those okay well again i i try not to give away any spoilers mm-hmm. with this specific content but if you've been enjoying it up until now yeah. i think you'll probably dig it it's been, um, the so, last season's been a little bit weird but i mean it's uh, it, yeah a little, it's, we, we could talk more about it once yeah. you've seen the whole thing and the other thing is um recently on the podcast you and i did our favorite tv pilot episodes of all time maybe it's worth at some point taking a look at it uh, TV finales at some point too. 
Just, yeah, I was thinking it's it the same mind. thing. Yeah, when you're yeah, there's that. been a, a lot of podcasts I was listening to this week. Mm-hmm. We're talking about these two finales, and uh, yeah, that really, really brought that to the top mm-hmm. as well. Like, hey, maybe we can do an episode on uh, best final episodes. So those were the two TV highlights of the week. The last thing was uh, my wife and I had a chance to watch a brand new movie that was released earlier this year from 2023, mm-hmm. and it's the sequel Shazam: Fury of the Gods. There was a first Shazam. Yeah, it came out a couple of years ago. Okay. It was actually pretty fun. Right. Um, so for those people who are like, well. I know Superman, I know Batman, I know Wonder Woman, who the hell is Shazam? Uh, A little kid uh, meets a wizard, and the wizard gives a little kid magic and basically says, whenever you say the word Shazam, you'll be transformed into a grown-up superhero who is basically the same as Superman. And so, of course, what little kid doesn't want to be Superman? He says the magic word, and boom, he's a superhero. And so that's really the first movie is all about the little kid coming to terms with the fact that he can be a superhero and, and, and help out in the adult world even though he's a little kid. This second movie picks up right where the first one left off. Uh, if you if you liked the first one, this one's pretty much the same. If you did not like the first one, you are not going to like this one either. This one, like neither one, got great reviews. But uh, I think the superhero movie genre bar has been raised pretty high by Marvel, and this one is sort of you know just a little having fun with it kind of movie so i enjoyed it it was exactly what i expected i figured it would be very much like the first shazam movie and it was it's way better than the crappy black adam movie even though that's technically part of the same universe since black adam is the the villainous counterpart to shazam um but uh yeah no so it, it came out in march in the theaters and then it, it was on hbo uh it just came on hbo it's only been two months and now they're already putting it onto the home services so Figured, you know what? I've got HBO. Didn't cost me anything extra except two hours of my life. It was fine. It was it was fine. It was fine. Uh, again, I wouldn't wouldn't say drop everything to go see it. But if you're like me and you got a PVR and you see it in the lineup, just record it. And one night when there's nothing else on TV, give it a try. Why not? It was fun. And there's a couple of post credit scenes, which I think in today's day and age, anyone goes to a superhero movie, they stick through all the credits. So this is another one with a couple of uh, decent post credit scenes. So. That, that was pretty much my week. Not a lot of stuff. Two finales and a so-so movie. Well, I'm glad that you mentioned series finales because, Derek, as you know, I don't really watch a lot of new stuff. <laughs> That's an understatement, I guess. No kidding. Except Barry, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Well, one, one show that my wife and I made it through was The Walking Dead. And okay. it took us a while to get through it all. And, and And let me tell you, there was times I wanted to quit watching that show. There were stretches of seasons where literally nothing happens on that show. I mean, like, oh, for, it was just so bad. It was just like boring stuff over and over again. But my wife insisted that we stick it out. You know, she's like, I want to get through this. I want to watch the whole thing. So we finally made it to the series finale. Now, have you seen all of The Walking Dead? No, I think I stopped watching around season four. Four ish. Whenever they got to Terminus, that's when I gave up. My wife, however, mm-hmm. just was vigilant. She watched every episode right to the end. But I, th- I sort of think like you, there were times where she was like, "Can we just keep this moving?" And mm-hmm. uh, but she, she stuck it out to the end. I should have been with you because man, did the finale ever suck! The end of this was so dumb. So my wife and I are watching the finale, and like fifteen minutes before it's over, we're both like. How is this going to end? Like, where is this going? Well, guess what? It went nowhere. <laughs> it just kind of fizzled out. I I think what they were trying to do is like set it up for spinoff shows or something. I mean, yeah, knows? I think there's a bunch of spinoffs now. There's one or two on the air and I know there's at least one more on the way. It's 
I mean, it's a money-making franchise, so why well, I, I kill the cash cow, right? I know one thing for sure. I'm not going to be watching those things. So I should have been like you. I should have quit while I was ahead. Man, that show Man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with my strengths watching Happy Days, WKRP, and The Love Boat. And, of course, telling dad jokes. Here's your dad joke of the week. Derek, why couldn't the jalapeno pepper compete in archery? Oh, uh, I have no idea. He didn't have an arrow. Oh, man. That was terrible. <laughs> you know why he didn't compete in archery outside? He was too chilly. Any opportunity to sing a song? I'm the OG. Yeah, I'm the OG. There are some huge red flags. I am the one with the neck full of gold. For people that listen to this show on like 1.2 or 1.5 times speed, it should be fine. New movie sucks. Okay. Caveman, watch an old movie. Over and over and over again. Derek's documentary. Well, like I said, it's it's growing on me. All right, Derek. So just like I mentioned at the top of the show, after we were recording the show last week, you mentioned the news of Tina Turner's passing. And you thought it might be worth going back and watching Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome since she appeared in the film. Now, before we get into breaking this movie down and reviewing it in depth, maybe you can share why you thought it was important for us to watch this movie. So in addition to the Tina Turner of it all, which you've just mentioned, um, I I enjoyed the Mad Max series. I I mean, you know me, I like a good post-apocalyptic story as much or pretty much more than the next guy. Uh, This one goes all the way back to 1985. Mm -hmm. And back in 85, that was a genre that did not always land on its feet. There was a lot of science fiction dystopia that was just bad writing, bad production, bad special effects, and it was just awful and difficult to watch. But Mad Max The Road Warrior and Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome were two examples of the post-apocalyptic you know, uh, uh, genre done very well, in my opinion anyway, done very well. Uh, although I do think The Road Warrior Part 2 was a little better than this one, Part 3, but I do think this one uh, uh, has a lot going for it as well. And... It, it was a real standout for me in part, uh, largely because of the Tina Turner of it. I mean, the song, uh, We Don't Need Another Hero, was a huge hit in 85. And I, I think we've, we'll probably both agree, 85 was one of the best years for music. And that song was a, a huge part of that year. So it holds a special place in my heart. And uh, so that that's that's a big deal for me as well. But um, yeah, I, I hadn't actually sat down to watch this movie in quite some time. Which surprised me because there was the new Mad Max Fury Road that came out, uh, you know, what it was about seven or eight years ago, which we actually did for this podcast, mm-hmm. which I love. I've seen that one probably 10 or 15 times since it came out. And as much as I really, really love that new version, you would have thought that would have inspired me to go back and rewatch these old ones. But it, but it didn't. So I honestly hadn't seen this one in a long time, like probably 20 years or more. So this just seemed like a... Uh, a good opportunity to go back to uh, uh, re-experience it with uh, fresh eyes, a little older, having seen this uh, this glorious sequel that came out uh, not too long ago, which although it was like, you know, 30 plus years after this movie. And um, 
and yeah, just see how, how it all came together. And, and, you know, I asked you to watch it. I, I don't know if you're going to love it, hate it. I can't remember if you said you had seen it before, but, uh, I know that this is not generally your favorite genre, but, uh, Let's uh, let's break it down and see what you thought. Well, I had actually seen parts of the original Mad Max movie and I've seen parts of the Road Warrior, but I've never seen either one of those all the way through. And then, as you mentioned, you had me watch Fury Road for this podcast, but I had never seen any of this movie before. Nothing. So I, I came in not knowing what to expect. I came in fresh, which was good. That's good. Yeah. So remember when I said the Walking Dead finale? And that's the opposite of how you felt when you watched this? Exactly. Well, sort of. The Walking Dead finality was like Citizen Kane compared to this garbage. Oh, my God. This movie was awful. It was not awful. What's wrong with you, man? If this is how you want to commemorate Tina Turner's legacy, my God. I'll just say this. Thank God she had a singing career to fall back on. Not to speak ill of the dead, but I mean, this movie was really really bad in every way possible too. No, the, the no. acting, the script, the directing, the cinematography. It was like they were just making it up as they went along. Oh, anyway, so let, let's get into this, shall we? So the, the film was made for a budget of $10 million. It grossed $36 million at the domestic U.S. box office. That was good enough for 19th place in 1985. Although it did finish ahead of The Killing Fields, Teen Wolf, Fright Night, St. Elmo's Fire, Summer Rental, and Weird Science all were superior films. By the I've way. seen all those movies, yeah. yeah. 85, good, good year for movies, 85. It was. Audiences in 1985 were nuts watching this but ahead of those ones. But, I mean, the top five that year, like you said, it was good. Back to the Future, Beverly Hills Cop, Rambo, First Blood Part Two, Rocky Four, and Cocoon. Pretty solid top ten. It's a pretty solid list. Do <laughs> like, you have the whole list? Can you yeah. read me the rest of the top ten? What was six to ten? Uh, I don't have that in front of me oh, right okay. now. Okay, but uh, but uh, I I just can't believe Beyond Thunderdome did better than some of those other ones that I mentioned. But I, I'd be curious. Sorry, just a tangent mm-hmm. for a minute. I'd be curious how far down the list of the top movies of 1985, how far down the list I'd have to go before we got to one that I have not seen. Oh, it'd probably, I, probably, probably be a while knowing you. Yeah, like, I'm thinking probably a lot of like, those, right? I'm probably like thinking between 25 okay, and 30. Okay, I got, I got I, the list in front of me right now. So okay, numbers, okay. number six is Do Witness, it. then The Do Goonies, yep. Police Academy 2, their first assignment is not number eight. Yep. Fletch is at number nine, and yep. number 10, rounding it out, A View to a Kill. That's a pretty solid top 10. No kidding. Okay. I've even seen all those. Even past that. National Lampoon's European Vacation, yep. Mask, The Breakfast Club, Pale Rider. I don't know what that is. Oh, is that uh, a Clint Eastwood one? Oh, I okay, I have not it. seen that. What number is that? 14? 14. Pee-wee's Big Adventure is 15. Yeah. Brewster's Millions is 16. Oh, I love that movie. They re-released E.T. the Extraterrestrial. took in another $40 million to make it to 17. Uh, Jagged Edge 18 and Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome is 19. Spies Like Us finished 20th, but it doesn't really count because it came out in December. It actually grossed over $60 million, but wow. I, Jagged Edge, I had not seen. So no. two out of the top 20, I had not seen. Wow. I thought it was going to go a perfect 20 for 20 on that one. So the, the director of this film was George Miller. And yes. he also directed the, the first two Mad Max movies before this one. And the, and the Fury Road. He directed right. all. And he <laughs> also directed the best segment of Twilight Zone, the movie, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. That's the yep. remake of the old William Shatner segment. 
from the yep. original TV series. With, with John, John Lithgow. John Lithgow. Oh, when he sees the monster on the way. Oh, so good. Um, and, and he also produced the first Babe movie, the one about the pig with Gene yep. Cromwell. And he directed Babe, Pig in the City. Which I actually enjoyed. I thought that was good. I liked both the Babe movies. I thought they were good. He also yep. directed The Witches of Eastwick, Lorenzo's Oil, and the animated Happy Feet movies. So he, oh, solid career. Nice. Yeah. You know? So so you've seen all the Mad Max movies. How do you find George Miller's direction in this one? So it's interesting, uh, and I knew we'd get into this a little bit. So as I mentioned earlier, the the newer one, The Fury Road. Mm-hmm. I've, I've seen a lot and I saw it in the theater twice, if I remember correctly. And now I've got this beautiful 60 inch flat screen, 4k high definition. So like anytime you watch these newer movies on this amazing setup, they just look fantastic. Like it's literally a home theater. Mm-hmm. So I've watched it enough times that you start to remember certain sequences and, Oh, this looks cool. And that looks cool. So when I went back and watched Mad Max beyond Thunderdome this week, I could really see a lot of similarities between this movie from 85, which obviously came way before the new one. And then in my mind, I could already envision, oh, the new one borrows from this. It's similar, but he's taken it in a different direction or it's it's quite similar. But you could tell he was limited by maybe budget or or timing, whereas with the new one, they had a ridiculous amount of money and, and a much better technology and access to special effects and things of that nature. So this to me, when I watched it. Part of what I liked about it was I could see the foundation of of what became the sequel 30 years later, but also the um, just the way it was shot. Like you could I, I felt as I'm watching, especially like the action sequences where they're they're in the cars and there's the, the chasing and all that stuff. It, it, there are so many movies where they do chases and they're boring and it's just like one or two cameras and it's just like, yeah, we need to get through this car chase to get to the next part of the movie. Whereas, uh, I found that this director, um, uh, Miller, he really seems to get sort of how to film these sequences, at least in my opinion. I don't know. How what do you think? Like you love them? You hate them? Are you complete um, opposite what I'm thinking here? Yeah. I, again, I didn't think, I thought the cinematography was bad. I thought the pacing was bad. I thought the acting was horrific. Um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't like, I have a question for you though, Derek, two questions. So question number one, was this movie originally shot in 3d? I don't believe so. The, the reason I'm asking it, cause it seemed as I'm watching it, I just watched it yesterday and it seemed to me to look like they were going for 3d effects at times in the direction, just the way some machine, some of the scenes were shot, like stuff coming into the foreground. And a few times there was like, weapons and costume parts and stuff coming right at the camera you know because this was 85 right mm-hmm. that's just a little bit past that early 80s 3d craze remember that yeah i don't i don't remember ever this one being promoted as as being 3d anything yeah, and i was not. reading a bunch of, i read a bunch of the trivia this week and i didn't uh I didn't uh, see anything in there that would lead me to believe that. Yeah, I remember it was around 82, 83. It kind of became a like like a big fad to do the 3D movies back then. There was like Jaws yeah. 3, Amityville 3, Friday the 13th Part 3. And then there was Metal Storm, the destruction of Jared Sin, and Space Hunter, Adventures in the Forbidden Zone. I saw all those movies in the theater. I loved those when I was a kid. But I just I just thought watching this movie, it came across like one of those. Like like a three D movie, like I don't know. 
Maybe, maybe I was just searching for anything in this movie to kind of like. But um, also, I wanted to ask you, how do you rate Beyond the Thunderdome against the other Mad Max movies? Can you rate them? Uh, I think I I, I want to say, again, recency bias. The, I'd have to place the newest one as my favorite, partly just because I've seen it the most. I've seen it the most recently, aside from this reviewing of, of Thunderdome. It won uh, a lot of Oscars. It won a lot of, it got a lot of critical praise yeah. and it just looks so good. Mm-hmm. I mean, the new technology just makes it look so good. It's hard to compare apples to apples, but I think I like the newest one the most. And then I think the Road Warrior, most people will say is their favorite or their second favorite, just because it's a little more gritty. Um, and it's it was really a sort of out of nowhere, we don't know if this movie's going to work kind of thing. It was like, it feels very, and it might have actually been an independent movie in that sense. Like it didn't, I don't think it had a big studio behind it originally. Oh, it I could did. be wrong. I think. I mean, I know the first one was the first one didn't. The first super one was like low budget. super low budget. Yeah. So, but the, the again, I just love the the post apocalyptic uh, uh, genre. So I definitely I would have mm-hmm. that part two as my number two, and then Thunderdome would be a, probably a close number three, and then the first one again, just because it's solo budget. I've only seen it once or twice. I'd have to put as my fourth. So so again, not having seen all of them, you've just seen parts here and there. I would say the first one would be the best because it was like. Again, I don't really like the post-apocalyptic, you know, genre. It's not my thing. But the, this whole idea of this guy in this world, and I think if I remember correctly, some people kill his wife and his kid. Yeah, in the first. And so one. then he decides he's going to take revenge and he's yeah. going to get back at these guys. And so it becomes a revenge film. That's something else we should do sometime. We should also do like revenge films. Those are pretty oh. cool. And, You're like, we uh, should do that. I'm like, we should go out and kill people? What no, are you no, talking no, about? No, 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 okay. no, no. It's like, wow, well, that, only this podcast they got real family. dark real fast. No, no, so I just, I think that low budget idea of this revenge film is pretty cool. And I think that would make the first one better. So let's talk a little bit about the cast. So, there, which really is two people and really to talk about. So yeah. Mel Gibson, hard to believe, but there was a time when Mel Gibson was one of the biggest movie stars on the planet. He was named Sexiest Man Alive by People Magazine. But it's, it's it's easy for us now just to think of Mel Gibson as this anti-Semitic, homophobic, raging alcoholic with a crazy beard, you know? But this guy was on top of the world back in the 80s, right? Yeah, yeah. And and we talked about this when we, we talked about Lethal Weapon a little while back. It's it, You can't just hand wave away the Mel Gibson of it all, but you sort of have to you know, put it aside for a few minutes while you talk about the rest of the movie without, mm. uh, you know, without, without the acknowledgement. It's like, it's that whole thing. Can you admire the art and can you separate the art artist from the art? Right. You know, it's, it's, it's a whole conversation. I don't, I don't think there's a right answer. It's, it's hard to like definitively say yes or no in every circumstance measured the same way. But with this one, I just prefer to, at least for purposes of our discussion, let's just put the whole Mel Gibson of it aside, mm-hmm. recognize that he is what he is now. And that's unfortunate for so many reasons. But at the time, yeah, to your point, mm-hmm. he okay. was on top of the world. He was one of the biggest, yeah. most bankable movie stars. Although he didn't really hit it big until like 87, right? Because he did Mad Max, the original, obviously, in the sequel. And then he did Gallipoli, The Year of Living Dangerously was also one he did, which was critically acclaimed prior to doing this. But I think it was really Lethal Weapon in 87 that made him that international superstar, right? Yeah, yeah, no question. Okay, so that's him. And then we got Tina Turner, the the only other really cast member worth talking about. And 
she's obviously the reason you want to review this movie. So, so I will say this: she looked great in this yes. movie. The oh my blonde God, she... wig, the huge wire earrings, the costume. I mean, she looked amazing. Yeah, but but my take on her in this is, is like she was supposed to be like the, this over the top iconic movie villain but it just fizzled for me she can't act she, she i mean she can sing but she can't yeah. act and and, yeah. and there's a i think the reason why she didn't do many much else movie wise other than this so so i mean for me it's it's a big thumbs down on her and her performance here yeah, it's it's uh, uh, to your point. I know that she's not a great actor, fantastic singer, fantastic live performer from what I've heard and uh, not a great actor. Um, but I mean, we wanted to, uh, uh, you know, we wanted to give her some due here and uh, and watch the movie. So, you know, it is what it is. So I'm glad that you mentioned the song from this movie, because I want to talk about that for a second. I was a little bit surprised. So I, so I watched this movie for the first time yesterday and the movie opens up with a song, but it's it's not the one that we know. And I don't know why they didn't open the movie with, with the other song, We Don't Need Another Hero. That mm-hmm. song was a massive hit, just like you said. It hit number one in Canada. It was number one in the US and the UK. It was a massive hit. And it probably, it, the success of that song probably did more to promote this movie than anything else. But they opened yeah. up the movie with this other dumb song that I'd never even heard. So, I mean, that seemed weird to me. Mm. I don't know. Mm. That was my take. Because they played the the hit song during the final credits. I don't know. It was just weird. Yeah. But I find that this is a weird choice, especially in, like, 80s movies, that the... Um the big title song, especially when the movie, the name of a song is the name of a movie. Often they don't play the song until the credits. And it's like they did that never, with the weapon. too. They do that with yeah. a lot of movies yeah. in the eighties. And I just, I never understood it. It's whereas you have other movies that even if they're not going to play the actual song during the movie, the score consists of like riffs of mm-hmm. the song right. or like or Titanic. You yeah, know. or it's clearly influenced. Mm-hmm. You can hear it's like, oh, this isn't the song, the music of the song, but it's so close. It's in the same vein that when you actually hear the song, you're like, yeah, of course that's the song. And we, we've been hearing, you know, hints of it through the whole movie. There seemed to be a trend for a while there back in the 80s for low, but like a low budget movie to come along and then you know being successful and then getting all these big budget sequels. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess it makes sense. You know, you, you if you have a low budget movie and it's a success, you know, just pour money into sequels. But it rarely works. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah. But I mean, like there was First Blood. You remember that? That was like super low budget. Yeah. Vietnam vet returns home. I think it was based on snaps. a book, wasn't it? I, it might have been. Yeah. Pretty sure it was. And then and it's a hit and it gets this huge sequel. In Rambo, First Blood Part Two, which which is fine because it made tons of money, I guess. And then this one, Mad Max, this low budget, you know, indie Australian movie, becomes this worldwide sensation. So they make this all these big splashy sequels. I'm also thinking like it's a phenomenon because Blair Witch Project, you know, El yeah, Mariachi, they- Halloween, you know, like they all kind of were low budget movies that you know spawned all these like massive sequels but a lot of times the sequels just don't work i don't know so 
Well, that's where uh, greed and corporate uh, corporate responsibility exactly. to their shareholders takes over, and they're yeah. like, "Well, this is the easiest way to pad our pockets," mm-hmm. and we're stupid moviegoers, so we still pay to see a sequel. You go, "Oh, well, that that can't that can't be terrible." The first one was so good. Even if the second one's half as good, we'll be okay. And then you get stuck with you know a pile of garbage. And you're like, "Well, I got burned again." And you hope they don't make a part three and then inevitably they do. And you're like, well, part three can't be that bad. Maybe they learn from their mistake. And of course, part three sucks as well. So Mm -hmm. let's talk about some of the scenes in this movie. Like, so I want to start with the with the best part of the whole movie for me. The closing credits. (laughs) No, (laughs) (laughs) Good joke, though. Um, I thought the best scene was the fight in the Thunderdome. Yeah, I mean so, that's the that's the most iconic for sure. Couple things. I have a question first of all. The 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 crowd chants two men enter, one man leaves. Two men enter, one man leaves. Over and over. Yeah. Did did that come from this movie? Like I mean, did, did it originate in this film or was it borrowed from somewhere else? It seemed really familiar to me. Maybe I've just seen it spoofed somewhere. I, I think movie? I think that this this certainly brought it to the forefront of pop culture. There's a lot of stuff out of this movie that has become um, like a trope for these kinds of stories, mm-hmm. especially the idea of the Thunderdome or some sort of gladiatorial arena with the, the cage, the cage dome on it. You, I've seen it's been used numerous times in things like music videos and cartoons. Like I know there's a Rick and Morty where they go to. Uh, like uh, they're they, again, they they go to different dimensions. And they go to like a Mad Max dimension, where of course there's a there's a Thunderdome, and they're like, hey, he goes, hey, do you use that Thunderdome over there? He goes, you mean the Blood Dome? It's like, yeah, call it what you want. It, it is what it is. So I think that and and the the chant, two man enters, one mm-hmm. man leaves. Like it's it's become synonymous with this, and sometimes it's spoofed, and sometimes it's it's borrowed in a way that's paying homage to it. So I don't know if this is the first, but I think this is probably the most well known. The earliest, most well-known version of it. The whole idea of putting two guys on bungee cords and having them fight with pole axes and chainsaws and stuff, very theatrical. Yeah. So, so I will give this movie that. That scene yeah. was good, I thought. Yeah. But that was pretty much the only good thing about this movie, I thought. Do you think that was an inspiration for the um, the wire fighting in The Matrix? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think that this... The, you know, the idea of uh, the wire fighting is probably older than this movie. But um, I mean, it looked to me like it was more like a, a trapeze harness, which, you know, circuses have been using those mm, for 100 yes. years or more. Yeah. So but you never know. It could be someone sees this in this movie and says, like, I'm going to try and use that in an interesting and creative way. So maybe there's a, an inspiration there. I don't know. There's a scene where Mel Gibson threatens the guy that's running the barter booth. And then mm-hmm. some random guy just like, but he's got this huge feather boa hat and he pulls out these nunchucks and starts like flipping them around and then like to intimidate him. And then Mel Gibson just shoots the feather hat off. Total ripoff of Raiders, by the way. And then I love it. He shoots the guy's hat and the guy's like, screw this. I'm out of here. He just leaves. Yeah. He just turns and like, he just leaves the guy hanging. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Um, and then another thing that was obviously played for laughs before they go into the Thunderdome to fight, Mel Gibson has to surrender his weapons. And he starts pulling out gun after gun after gun from inside his jacket. He just they just keep coming and coming. Like so many weapons come out. It's like it's it's like a Marx Brothers movie, you know, like where everybody yeah. fits into the stateroom. So I thought I don't know, is that being played for a laugh? I don't know. It's it stood out to me. 
Yeah, no, I think I think it was definitely played for laugh, but I think that again, it's indicative of this kind of a, a story. It's he's he's been out on his own for a long time. I think this is a display to the audience and to the characters in the in the scene that how does one guy survive in a wasteland for so long without getting killed? Well, this is part of the way that he does it. He's so he's prepared. He's got all these weapons, and uh, you know it's both funny and telling about the character at the same time. So the guy is selling uh, Mel Gibson's camels at the auction and he's yeah. a sales pitchman and, and to sell the camels, he says they come with power steering and no emission control. <laughs> like, I don't think emission control is an issue for anything in this world. It's also dirty and grimy and greasy, uh, which got me thinking too. like this takes place on Earth, right? This is like, Africa. yeah, it's supposed to be in Australia. Oh, OK. All right. So. You know how much I love these yeah. post-apocalyptic. But I think that thing about no emission control was a joke, saying that their camels are going to fart. They're going to have emissions all the time. Exactly. There's no control over yeah. it, right? Like, yeah. Um, so Tina Turner looks down on the city, and she she's like, look around. All of this I built up to my armpits in blood and shit. And I'm thinking... This doesn't sound like you're very proud of what you built. Like, you know, I mean, come on, what's going on here, Tina? And then yeah, I guess you, you find out that the city is basically powered by pig shit. Yeah. So, again, all that apocalyptic crap, literally. So I want to talk about the Master Blaster for a second. Yep. So the one thing I found was I, I, I felt like this movie tries to be stylistic. But for, I guess it just misses the mark for me. I mean, it just... Oh, Everything in this movie just misses the mark. It, it's it's like almost like could be cool, but it just doesn't land. So the is on the guy's back. I, I guess you can't say. Okay, yeah, like I, I wouldn't. No, okay, little person. Yeah, yeah sure, exactly. I think that's probably a Ma- more Master successful. Blaster. That may- we'll call him Master yeah. Blaster. That's his character, right? So Master yep. Blaster is on the guy's back. It could be cool, you know, the idea that he's the brains and the big guy's the brawn, but I just I don't. Know, it just doesn't work. And I, I think one of the things that I had a problem with was the way that Master Blaster talked. He speaks with these broken sentences. Yeah, I thought that was a little bit odd it's myself. Weird. I, I like because they sort of establish, and I think this was a little bit from the last movie as well, that it's this post-apocalyptic. There's been some sort of disaster, which again they sort of explain a little bit more later in this movie, and. There's a generation of people that survived and there's a generation of people that have never known anything than what we have in front of us. And the people that have come to maturity after the disaster, their education has been lacking. Their communication skills are not great. Their verbalization, their their dialogue, their vocabulary, these are all things that clearly they've had more important things to worry about than stringing full sentences together. But the master part of Master Blaster, who's the brains, is clearly an older gentleman. And they they really play up the fact that he's smart, he's inventive, he knows things, he's he's probably an engineer or some some reasonable equivalent. So he's clearly old enough to have been educated in the old world. So it didn't make sense to me that he didn't speak in full sentences. That that really yeah, bothered me. And I, I don't know if it was written that way for the character. Or if it's just the way that the actor spoke in real life, it had to be for the character, because otherwise they they just get another right. So I can't say that. So I want to talk about the acting in this movie. Okay. It, it was so bad. 
Yeah, it was around. not great. Tina Turner, the the people in the city, the the ringleader guy. I think that that ringleader guy was the same guy that was selling the camels at the auction. Uh, I think you're you. I think you're right. I feel like it was. So here's the thing: if he was really standing on the floor of the Thunderdome, where people were about to fight to the death, and this audience was all around there hooting and hollering, he would have stood in the center with this big booming voice and yelled out to the crowd, you know, just to get them all fired up, mm-hmm. you know, and just turned it into this huge spectacle. But he was just talking with a normal tone. He didn't even project his voice. It was just so bad all around. And then, and to top it off, Mel Gibson's performance was one of the worst in the film, I thought. He, was, yeah. he wasn't even acting. He was just Mel Gibson, just sort of sleepwalking his way through this movie. Right. But but I'm OK with that. Like this to me, this is a genre picture. And one of the things that, you know, love it or hate it about things like science fiction and horror and, and this kind of, you know, dystopian kind of movies is if the acting is good, great, so much the better. But if it's not, as long as the story is interesting and the visuals are interesting uh, and the setting is interesting, people tend to forgive a lot of the the bad performances. And that's always been my take on this one is I've, I've liked the way it looks. I like the story. I couldn't give a crap that the acting is terrible. Mm. Oh, another scene that stood out to me when um, Mel Gibson and that big warrior fight mm-hmm. and Mel Gibson knocks his helmet off and the warrior is laying on the ground. He's almost dead. And the crowd wants Mel Gibson to finish him off because they start chanting. They get that two men enter, one man leaves. And he sees the guy's face and he, he sees it's a, it's a guy with Down syndrome. Mm-hmm. So he takes mercy on him. Yeah. And then some spectator from the audience like shoots the, the guy with an arrow. That was pretty brutal. That, that scene actually got me. So, I mean, I, I will give credit there. Well, I mean, the spectator was was uh, one of Auntie's uh, minions, right? Mm-hmm. Like he was one of the people in charge. It wasn't just some random Okay. Uh, character you've never seen before but yeah I, I looked it up uh, like I was reading a bunch of stuff after I watched the movie and that scene in particular they were saying like the two sort of thoughts about it is exactly like you said he sees that it's just a kid he takes pity on him he doesn't want to kill him um, the other thought it, it, someone had pointed out was apparently in the, in the very first Mad Max there was a, a kid similar with Down syndrome that was a friend of his his, his family and that knew his wife and his child and um so again, when he sees this kid, he realizes like I've lost my family, and and this this reminds me of somebody that that I once knew. So that could be part of the reason that he he doesn't just you know brutally mercilessly kill him. Uh, but in either case, it works. I, I mean, I thought it worked. It's it, it, for him if he was to kill him right there and then, then the movie's over. So for him not to kill him mm-hmm. and to show mercy for whatever reason, whether it's hesitation or whether it's straight up I'm not going to do it, it works either way interpret it as you as you see fit i think your interpretation is is correct that's the right. way i've always thought and, and 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 then you're right because that carries the film on because they exile him out into the desert yeah and that carries the film because he gets rescued by this woman from a, a tribe that they think he's a god or something I'll, I'll be honest at by this point of the film i was on my phone answering emails like i i had trouble sitting through this thing so so anyway so he goes out in the desert on this horse and then the horse got sucked into the sand. And I totally thought this was going to be like a mashup of Mad Max and Tremors or something <laughs> like that. Or maybe that creature from Blood Beach, you know, that sucks people into the sand. But they never really under, like explained what, what happened. 
with that creature? Like it never really came up, did it? Sorry, with what? The horse? No, that the creature in the sand that sucks people down. It's not a creature. It's just the shifting sands of the desert. Oh, there's shifting sands in the desert because they it sucked down a horse and then later it sucked down a kid. I thought it was like a, I thought it was like the Sarlacc from Re- Return no, of the Jedi no. or something. No, it's oh. it's it's just that it's the uh, he, they even talk about it how the the sand is dangerous and it shifts and people get buried and sucked into the sand. Yeah, uh, again, no. I was I was answering emails, so what I know. And then uh, he goes with the the village people and they've got this viewmaster with pictures yeah. of like modern day cities and airplanes and stuff. And they keep changing the picture and they're saying, remember this? Remember this? Mm-hmm. Is that what South Park was spoofing when they did the member berries episode? Do you think? Uh, probably. Yeah. That's what came to mind. Me. So yeah. I was wondering. And the question I have about those desert nomads or whatever the hell they were, why are they almost all kids? You, well, they, you, they tell you that when they're giving their story to, oh, to Captain Walker, that the adults, uh, so there was a, a plane that crashed and they, we saw the, the, the husk of the plane and the adults after a short time decided to, uh, to go and try and find civilization. And they said, we'll come back with help. And then, uh, they never did. So this is the, the offspring of the, of the adults that survived the original plane crash. Oh, I thought maybe they all just got sucked into the sand by the blood beach monster or something. So after a little while being on my phone, doing emails, I I set it down and then I look up and and they're all on this plane. This was the world's smallest plane. It was like a smart car with wings. It was a smart plane. How the hell did they all fit in there? It was like a clown car. It was like a Marx Brothers movie again. Like. I didn't understand how they all got in there. It was so small. It was weird. Oh, there was only like eight of them. There wasn't that many. Oh, okay. What would happen to all the rest of them? Oh, you have to watch the movie. That's why you got to put the phone down, man. Oh. So anyway, all the bad guys then from the, the city of pig are in these dune buggies driving across the desert, I guess, to try and hunt down Mel Gibson. And no, Tina they're Tur- trying to trying to find Master because they need his engineering mind to make the city work. Oh, yeah. I should have been watching so Tina Turner's driving one of the cars, which yeah. I was kind of funny. And I was like, I'm just so done with this movie. I just, I just, just end this. It was so bad. I'm like, it was like torture. So anyway, they catch up to Mel Gibson and she comes up to talk to him and you get a close up of her face. And the one thing that stood out to me is she's got these perfect teeth. And I yeah, was just I know thinking, that, that I noticed that too. Yeah. I was like, no one in pig city would have perfect teeth there's no way there's no way there's a dentist there i mean there's no, like the, there's no way there's even a tube of toothpaste in in pig city so i mean there's that and then and then um tina turner just walks away and she leaves him out in the desert and i was totally hoping he would just have looked at her and said catch you later sugar <laughs> that's what he said to the cop when he got arrested for being drunk Back when oh, we were in his career. But anyway, <laughs> do me a favor. Rate this movie out of 10 for me, would you? Mm, six and a half. You want to ask me what my rating will be? No, you're going to say something ridiculous like negative Apple. No, I'll give it one. One out of 10. For the song. <laughs> because of that song during the final credits. And also that scene when they were in the, the Thunderdome the thunder when they were jumping okay. around. That was pretty cool. So that gets a one. All right. So I got that. Anyway, 
Let's do this. Fun with Caveman. All right, my friend. Now it is time to play a little game that we call... Pick the Flick. Yeah, pick the flick. You get the synopsis, then pick the flick. You get the year, pick the flick. All right, my friend, as the song says, I'm going to give you the year and the synopsis and you pick the flick. Okay. Okay. The common thread for all of tonight's movie titles, just like Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, they're all third installments. Okay. So the second sequel for a film. All right. Did we not do this already? Oh, no, I think we did the fourth installments. No, maybe the third film in a series or a franchise, as you guys call it nowadays. All right. Got it. Yep. Here we go. 1983, a giant 35-foot shark becomes trapped in a SeaWorld theme park, and it's up to the sons of a police chief to rescue everyone. Maybe Jaws 3D. Very good. Saw that one in the movie theater back in 83. Yep. I saw the drive-in. Nice. 1988, a former soldier mounts a one-man mission to rescue his friend Colonel Troutman from the clutches of the formidable invading Soviet forces in Afghanistan. Uh, Was that the third Rambo, Rambo 3? Yes, it was Rambo 3. All right. Never saw it. 2007. This is a little bit more in your wheelhouse. Yep. Okay. A man dodges a ruthless CIA official and his agents from a new assassination program while searching for the origins of his life as a trained killer. Um, was that the the born the third born movie? It would have been called. Uh, I can't remember if it was Supremacy or Ultimatum. Born Ultimatum. You picked right. Yes. Yeah, I just just rewatched those recently, or else I would have had no idea. Two thousand and four. Again, in your wheelhouse. You're good to go. go. Three students return to school for their third year of study where they delve into the mystery surrounding an escaped prisoner who poses a dangerous threat to the young wizards. Oh, yes. Yeah, this is the third Harry Potter one. This was, let's see, it was the Philosopher's Stone, the Chamber of Secrets, and the third one was... An escaped prisoner. The Prisoner of Azkaban? All right, 2003, a machine from a post-apocalyptic future, right up your alley, travels back in time to protect a man and a woman from an advanced robotic assassin to ensure that they both survive a nuclear attack. Uh, That would be uh, Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines. (laughs) The thing is, every single installment in that franchise has the exact same synopsis. Yeah, exactly. If you think about it, it's exact yeah. same. Okay, 1985. As graduation nears for the class of 1955 at Angel Beach High, the gang once again faces off against their old enemy who wants them to throw the school's championship basketball game because he's betting on the opposing team. Oh, was that... Um was that Porky's three? Mm, it's not quite the title of it. Oh, it is it, the third Porky's. Can was, you name it? 
No. Give you another chance. No, it's Porky's Revenge. Porky's Revenge. Oh, okay. 1982, a killer stalks a group of friends who've just arrived to spend the weekend at a cabin near Crystal Lake. What was the year again? 1982. Uh, It was was one of the horror... It was either Halloween or Friday the 13th. Let's go with Friday the 13th, part three. Yes, Friday the 13th, part three in 3D. And by the way... Another one where the synopsis is the exact same, exact same for, for every, every movie. sequel. Nice. Just, just keeps happening over and over. Okay. Nice, nice. 1993. The dogs can talk at a family of four where mom loses her job the same day dad gets a job as a pilot for a cute single boss. Yeah, that was the uh, the baby talking movie. It was, but it was the pants this time. It was um, Look Who's Talking Now, I think it was called. <laughs> Very good. Luckily for John I remember Travolta. A lot of these, I remember a lot of these from Blockbuster Video. Yeah. Um, luckily enough for John Travolta, Pulp Fiction came out the next year and saved his career from this cesspool of movies. Um, okay. 2020. Oh, you're going to like this one. Okay, go. Miami detectives Mike Lowry and Marcus Burnett must face off against a mother and son pair of drug lords who wreak vengeful havoc on their city. Well, it's definitely Bad Boys. Uh, I can't remember the third one, I think, was called... I think it was... I want to say Bad Boys Forever? So close. Bad Boys for Life. For Life. Yeah. I thought you were going to say, no, it was called Bad Boys 3 ever, because it was part three. (laughs) Exactly. That's like those uh, Fast and Furious. Fast and Furious, yeah. They try to incorporate the numbers. Yeah. So stupid. Okay, we're going back to 1978 for this one. Jeez. A small-time hustler takes the pint-sized baseball team to Japan for a match against the country's best Little League baseball team, sparking off a series of adventures and mishaps. Did the, this have Walter Matthau? Was it no. uh, the Bad News Bears go to Japan? It was, yes. Was Matthau not in the no, ball? No, Math- Matthau had left at this point. Oh, okay? he knew better. I think better. it was like Willem Deva- William Devane or something like that. Was Sure. It? Okay, 1982. Kids all over America want silver shamrock masks for Halloween. Dr. Daniel Chalice seeks to uncover a plot by silver shamrock owner Connell Cochran. Oh, my God. That sounds so bad. It's terrible. Uh, I'm guessing it's a horror movie. I'm going to think shamrock's got to be Leprechaun. We go Leprechaun 3. It's Halloween 3 season of the witch. All right, sure. Three more days till Halloween. Halloween. And the funny thing was, is every uh, movie in the Halloween series has Michael Myers, except this one. This one had nothing to do with Michael Myers. So it means right. I haven't seen any of them, so okay. I have no idea. All right. Anyway, so that was the last one. So, uh, oh, next, okay. Yeah. So next time we're going to come back with uh, with a topic. I guess we could decide what we're going to do between now and then, unless you have any ideas, Derek. No, no, let's okay. uh, let's figure it out off camera and then we'll yeah. or off mic and we'll we'll come back next week with a topic. Sounds good. All right. So until then, this is Chris McBride on behalf of myself and Derek Myers saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. <laughs> for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show.